Thanks for joining us today. At City Life, we have one purpose, making it easy for people to say yes to Jesus. We believe today's message will empower you to do exactly that. But remember that church is so much more than a sermon you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life. Hey church, good morning. So great to see you. You know what, if you are tuning in for the first time, whether intentionally or randomly because we just popped up on your media feed, you know what, we are so thrilled to be able to spend the next couple minutes with you. And you know, however you ended up here, maybe a friend invited you, maybe decided to check us out, or you know what, maybe you were over at your friend's house, showed up for brunch, they flip on church and say, you're watching, don't have much choice in the matter, you know, however you are tuning in. You know what, you need to know this. God has gone through a lot to get you here today. He has gone through a lot to get your attention, to draw you to himself today, not to hammer on you, not to load you down with guilt, but because he loves you. And he has got so much that he, his plans for you are so good. And there is so much that he wants to, he wants to actually bring strength and peace and joy to your life. And so this is such a great thing to be able to be here today and you know what the life that God has for us is so much greater than any kind of life that we can manufacture or try to create on our own and so we're glad to be together here with you. We got our mini studio audience here with us today. You might hear them in the background. They're like whooping it up. I don't know what it sounds like coming through on your side, but it is so much better to have people in the room and I'm not speaking just at a little black dot. Although I know you're on the other side in this room, it's kind of hard to stay focused. But we're continuing on with the series that we have been on for the last couple of weeks called I Didn't Know. What we don't know can't help us. It's important that we know the things that can help us. Why? Well, you know what? We live in a world that we are bombarded by all sorts of voices, you know, in the forms of media, in the forms of books, in the forms of, you know, even other influencers. You know, everybody's, you know, the world and culture we live in is really good at selling us its ideas of what a successful or a fulfilling life is supposed to look like. But you know what our world is not good at? Our culture is not good at, media is not good at showing us what a healthy soul looks like. And you know, that's what this series has been about. We've been on this journey over the last couple weeks and, you know, we've been looking at some of the practices of the life of Jesus that open up our life, especially our soul, to God's presence and God's power in a life-transforming way. So, some of these practices. Man, I don't know about you, but this they have been so good. And you know, as Mike and I have been preaching over the last couple of weeks, we're not just we're not like preaching and teaching because we got this. We're preaching to ourselves probably 90% of the time because we're like, oh my gosh, these are things that we want to grow in personally. There are things that we want to be able to have these practices of Jesus. We want them to be more evident in our lives, and we hope it's something that you're being challenged in as well, but some of the practices we've looked at over the last couple weeks are things like going slow, very different pace from the world we live in. That's like crazy, crazy, crazy. You know, we've kind of been all forced into the go slow mode, because of COVID, but you know, even as that's changing, hopefully we're still gonna be able to keep to 
a slower pace, a different place in life. Another thing we've looked at is, is solitude and quietness. And last week, Mike talked about Sabbath, which, you know, today is kind of what the practice that we're going to look at is one of those things that I really believe can help us Sabbath better. And so before we get into this practice today, I'm going to start with a story, okay? I love stories. This isn't a story from Jesus' life. It's a story from your life, from my life, from our life, okay? So it's a true story. Once upon a time, there was a Jewish guy by the name of Freud. You might have heard of him. He was one of these super smart guys, brilliant thinker, who he liked to watch and think a lot. And one of the observations that he came up with about humans was this. We believe that we are rational, free thinkers. We're not. <laughs> this is what Freud discovered. He, he discovered that we're easily manipulated from the outside and we're easily deceived on the inside. So, now, there was a bunch, of, there was a, this group of influencers that jumped on Freud's ideas. They were called Nazis. Now, the Nazis, they used Freud's ideas to create what was later known as the propaganda machine. Hitler was a master manipulator of two of the deepest emotions in every single being. He was a, man, he was a master at crafting and stirring up these emotions of desire and fear. So, fast forward after World War II, Back in the United States, Freud's nephew, a guy by the name of Edward Bernays, he, he comes up with this, he takes his uncle's ideas and he poses this theory, and his theory was this. If the Nazis could manipulate people in wartime, then I wonder if business owners and politicians could manipulate people in peacetime. Bernays became known as the father of public relations or modern advertising. Thus begins a whole new era. And those of you that are familiar with the Netflix series Mad Men, if you've watched, I guess it, wasn't, it was on TV before it was on Netflix. So these are the guys that started to propagate a lot of these findings. So we're talking after World War II, early 50s, politicians, business owners, bankers, and the Mad Men of Madison Avenue. They came together with one goal, and it was this, we need to make people buy more stuff. Listen to this, Edward Bernays said, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in a democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed. Our minds are molded. Our tastes are formed. Our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Oh, it gets better. Paul Mazur, Lehman Brothers, he was one of the big wigs around this same time. Listen to what he says. We must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. 
People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. You know what that is? It's I need a new iPhone before my old one's obsolete. He goes on. We must shape a new mentality, and it's this. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Oh, you ain't seen nothing, you ain't heard nothing, it gets better. This is from the 1955 Journal of Retailing. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life. That we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals. That we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. The measure of social status of social acceptance, of prestige, is now to be found in our consumptive patterns. The very meaning and significance of our lives today is expressed in consumptive terms. The greater the pressures upon the individual to conform to safe and accepted social standards, the more does he tend to express his aspirations and individuality in terms of what he wears, what he drives, what he eats, his home, his car, his pattern of food, his hobbies. We need things consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced and discarded at an ever-increasing pace. We need to have people eat, drink, dress, ride, live with ever more complicated and therefore constantly more expensive consumption. Why the mini history lesson? Well, we're not as free thinking as we think we are. We are bombarded by an ammunition of words and ideas that are tailor-made to and intentionally designed to get us to consume, that are continually, they are tailor-made for those two desires in us, those two needs in us, desire and fear. How? Well, on average, every single one of us this is not including your phones and your devices and the computer. So this number goes up if you're on those things a lot. Bombarded by an average of 5,000 kinds of advertising every day that are created from a multi-billion dollar industry that is in, they are tailor-making ads just for you and I based on our Google searches based on our social media scrolling, based on our posts, based on our clicks, you name it. This is not conspiracy theory, this is advertising. Modern advertising at its finest. We are tricked into believing that our wants are actually needs. This is the desire part. And we need to satisfy those, disease, those needs at all costs or else, or else we won't fit in or else we're gonna miss out. What is that? It's fear. Anybody else getting riled up? Yeah, I am. Like, this is like, when, I'm, when I was reading this stuff this week and I hear it, I'm like, it gets me mad. We, we're being sold another gospel. We're being sold another gospel as a Western culture. What is the real gospel? See, what is the real good news? Well, it's Jesus. This is a message that Jesus pro came proclaiming people that had been waiting for thousands of years. When Jesus came declaring this message, it was this. John 14, 27 says, Jesus, he said, I'm leaving you peace. 
I'm giving you my own peace. Now that word peace for us is kind of a funky word. We think, ah, ethereal, kind of, you know, but for the people that Jesus was speaking to, this word peace was this word that comes from it, connected to this idea of shalom. And God's people had been waiting right through Abraham for thousands of years, had been waiting for God's promise to return his shalom to the world. This shalom, this peace, was this interconnectedness of God and, God and man, humans and humans, and humans and creation all working together at peace. This was what Jesus came declaring. This was the good news. And he was saying, listen, the life that you have been waiting for, the life that you have been longing for, you can have it now. It is accessible to you now. You have complete and free access to God through me, through Jesus. I, right now, you have access to God's peace, to real contentment to joy, to happiness, to fulfillment, to security through Jesus. Jesus, what Jesus was saying, this is the real good news he was bringing. You have this shalom through me. You can have the life that is actually really life. This is the real gospel, except we have bought into a different gospel. We bought into a different picture of the good life and a different way to get it. See, what we've been bought into is this thing of, I need more. The more you have, the happier you'll be. If you just get that new, whatever fill in the blank is for you, you're going to be happier. If you just get a bigger fill in the blank, it's going to solve your problems. If you upgrade your gadget, your furniture, your vehicle, your whatever, you're going to be on trend. If you work your way up the ladder, you will be fulfilled. If you go to this super awesome vacation destination, then you're going to have a real break. Or you'll meet the significant somebody that you can't find in Canada. This is the gospel of I have, therefore I am. See, we all know that the most important things in life are things. But most of us fall for the, I need more. We get sucked into this cycle of desire, get, repeat. Desire, get, repeat. See, what happens is we consume things, and then things start to consume our heart. So, what's the answer? Could there be a practice from Jesus' life that could set our heart free from this false promise that more is going to bring us contentment, more is going to bring us peace, more is going to bring us fulfillment, more is going to bring us joy, more is going to bring us happiness. Is there a practice? There is. It's this is what we're going to look at. Oh, it's a word called simplicity. Say it with me, simplicity. So, another clarification here. This is scary to talk about because I'm preaching to myself, like I already said. This is a journey that we are on together. But before we jump into what is simplicity, here's what simplicity is not. Simplicity is not selling everything and living like a hermit or a minimalist. Now, 
minimalism is kind of one of those things that it's kind of in simplicity, but a lot of times minimalism is kind of, you know, it's kind of confused with a certain type of architecture or not having anything in your house or anything like that. But simplicity is not that. Simplicity isn't organizing either, because a lot of times we organize to get more stuff in. It's true. This is the other thing. Simplicity isn't about having just enough. Because, especially as God's people, we're called to be a blessing. And you know what's really interesting in Paul's letters, in the Greek, in the original Greek language, where Paul talks a lot about generosity. The word in that original language for generosity and simplicity was the same word. Very interesting, hey? Here's what simplicity is. Simplicity is limiting the number of things, the number of expenses, the number of activities, and social obligations of our life so that we can live joyfully in God's kingdom. That's what simplicity is. Limiting the number of things, expenses, activities, and social obligations so we are free to live in God's kingdom reality. And you know what? This is about creating margin in our life so our hearts and our schedules, we've got room to be able to receive God's life and then be able to give it out, to be able to bring it to the world we live in. This is how Jesus, Jesus explained it. Luke 12, 15 to 21, he says, he's speaking to the disciples and a crowd of people. He says, you better be on your guard against any type of greed for a person's life is not about having a lot of possessions. So Jesus starts to tell this parable. A wealthy man owned some land that produced a huge harvest. He often thought to himself, I have a problem here. I don't have anywhere to store all my crops. What should I do? I know. I'll tear down my small barns and build even bigger ones. And then I'll have plenty of storage space for my grain and all my goods. Then I'll be able to say to myself, I have it made. I can relax, take it easy for years. So I'll just sit back, eat, drink, have a good time. Then God interrupted the man's conversation with himself. I like that. This is great. Excuse me, Mr. Brilliant, but your time has come. Tonight, you're going to die. Now who will enjoy everything you've earned and saved? This is how it will be for people who accumulate huge assets for themselves, but have no assets in relation to God. Jesus continues on. Don't, and this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to the people, the disciples. He's saying, don't reduce your life to the pursuit of food and drink. Don't let your mind be filled with anxiety. You know, I love how the, the New Living Translation, it says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. Jesus goes on, he says, people of the world who don't know God, they pursue these things. But you, you have a ca father caring for you, a father who knows all your needs. Since you don't need to worry about safety or security, about food or clothing, pursue God's kingdom first and foremost. These other things will come to you as well. My little flock, don't be afraid. God is your father, and your father's great joy is to give you his kingdom. You know, love, I'm going to read out of the message translation. This is what it says. This is just a different version of those last few verses. It says, Jesus is saying, he goes, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. 
to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. You know, I can't help but wonder if so much of, you know, this frenzied, crazy pace that we live in as a world, whether it's, you know, and not even just, you know, the shopping pace of going out and buying stuff, but even just the consuming pace of activity and activity and going here and there. You know, I can't help but wonder if, you know, this is what Jesus was referring to. We are so preoccupied with getting. But he said, just relax. Not being so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your everyday human concerns soon, their concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. You know, Jesus wasn't against us having stuff. That's not what he's talking about here. He came to free us from the stuff having us. And you know, even just like the story that I I told us at the beginning, we think we're free thinkers. We think we're not underneath something else. But you know what, I really like us to really challenge ourselves, and I have been challenging myself over the last several weeks, is, you know, Mike and I, we've been reading and studying on this journey that we're bringing many of us and hopefully you on as well. It's, it's really taking a look at our lives, and it's like, how much am I actually thinking about what's influencing me? How much is actually behind? Like, I think I'm a free thinker, but you know what, we're not. We are so played by the world that we live in, the culture that we live in. And you know what, this is what Jesus, he was provoking people to ask this question, what really is at the center of my life? Is it the push and the pursuit for more? Or is the center of my life the pursuit of God's kingdom? Now that word, God's kingdom, that phrase is kind of a bit awkward for us because it seems like, you know, it's like this, you know, thing for way back then and kings and kingdoms, it's not really relatable for the 21st century. But what does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? It means this, it means to live for, first of all, number one, God's presence. In other words, I want and I am content with God. I am content with him. Seeking God's kingdom is about living for God's presence, but then also living for God's pleasure. In other words, I desire, I want what God desires and what God delights in. You know, Paul, many, many years later, many decades after Jesus was here, he described God's kingdom this way. He said, God's kingdom is God's rightness, God's peace, and God's joy. You know, and when that's what, when we pursue those things, and that is at the center of our life, that's what brings us, it brings us fulfillment, it brings us security, it brings us contentment and fulfillment into our soul. So what does this actually mean for us? You know what, I'm, I, you know, I know, I know there are many listening, tuning in, watching, whatever, and you're probably thinking, well, you know what? I actually don't have a lot of problem with stuff. You know, the whole stuff thing, I actually am doing that minimalist thing. You know, our family just did the whole detox of the house thing. You know, Marie Kondo is our friend, whatever it is. But I thought the same. But then God started to challenge me with a few questions that I would like to pose to you and get you to consider too. Here's the first one. Have I considered... 
Have I confused my desire for God with a desire for what God can do for me or give to me? There is a big difference. Do I truly want Him or do I want more from Him? Do I want more that He can give me? You know what? Don't be wrong. God's plan for our life is not the monk life of nothing. That goes against the grain of the scripture story that we are called to be a blessing to our world. We are called to bring and release God's, God's abundance, God's goodness, God's greatness, God's favor. We are supposed to, we're called to release that to the world we live in. But have, I, have we confused our desire for God with the desire for what God can do for me? Here's another question he's been challenging me with, and you can ask yourself, have I confused knowing God with knowing more about him? You know, those of us who love learning and maybe even are gifted teachers, it's really easy to confuse acquiring more information more knowledge, more facts, more this, more that. It's really easy to confuse that with knowing God. Knowing about God is not the same as knowing Him. Here's another question. Am I creating time to experience God as much as I'm filling my calendar with other experiences? Parents, you can ask that about your kids your family activities? Are all those activities creating more space for your kids, for you as a family to experience the presence, the life of God? Or is it creating all sorts of distraction? So here's what I want us to do. Will you join me in an experiment this summer? Will you just seek for yourself? Start where you're at. Some of you are, might be ready to do this. You're already thinking, something needs to change in my life, and you're ready to do the full-on detox. But here's a couple more questions I want you to think about. Here's what you need to do. Number one, this is what we can do together. Ask yourself, is there anything that I am holding onto with a closed fist versus an open hand? In other words, is there stuff? Is there activities? Is there a lifestyle that involves certain expenses? Are there plans that I get really uncomfortable with or even scared about letting that go or not having it? Here's the second question. Consider the things that you feel most anxious about parting with. And just try to imagine what might it feel like to actually let that thing or those things go? You know, think about the things that you really like, not just things you want to get rid of. You know, it's like, oh, get rid of that, thank you. But no, think about the things that we really like. And maybe it does involve giving things away or releasing things. But consider those things that you most feel anxious parting with. What might it feel like to let it go? And here's another one. Spend time this week thinking about what is really at the center of my life. What is really at the center of my life? What am I, what's my time, my energy, my resources really going to? What does my visa statement show I value? 
What does my schedule tell me about my values? And ask ourselves, does blank, whatever it is, does this actually aid me in pursuing God's kingdom first or is it distracting me? And then I want to encourage you, maybe do something. Just try something this week. Try one kind of practical thing you could do. Maybe for a week or for the month, decide you are only going to buy consumables. In other words, groceries and cleaning supplies. No extras. Remember, we've been conditioned to think our wants, our needs. Ask yourself that. Maybe you just don't buy clothes. Maybe, maybe it's putting off, maybe it's selling something, something really big, something you want. Maybe it's putting off, buying that new big whatever it is you're going to upgrade on. Get out of debt. Eat less something. Just do something that you can do to try to bring some, practice this act of simplicity. And here's the last one. Say these words with me now. I have enough. I have enough. Three scary words, isn't it? You know, this whole simplicity, this practice, this isn't something, it doesn't have to be a forever thing. Maybe it will be. I hope it is. I hope it is for my life. But just start it, practice it. See, simplicity, it's a path. It's not an end in itself. It's a road that leads us more into God's presence so that we are transformed to be more like him and we're better able to bring God's life, God's presence into the world that we live in. Our world that is frantic and frenzied and consumed and consuming, man, it is looking for peace. It's looking for a breath. It's looking for simplicity. And you know what? We can be the releasers of that into our world. I'm gonna invite us. I'm gonna invite especially you. You might be watching something like this for the first time maybe the first time after a long time of kind of be feeling far from God or being out of any kind of church setting. Maybe you grew up in church and it's kind of not been a part of your life for many, many years. You know what? Today is a new day. Today is an opportunity for a brand new start. And I want to invite us all to pray this prayer. of It's saying yes to the Jesus way. Saying yes to following Jesus. It's saying yes to a new start, a new way of doing life. It's saying yes to that shalom and that peace. Man, I remember the day when I said yes to Jesus for real. And I can't begin to describe the peace that settled in my heart. There really is. It's a peace that nothing in this world can create, bring, or even stir up in you. It is a peace like nothing else. And if you want to experience this peace with God, this shalom, this peace today, we're going to say this prayer together. I want to invite you to pray after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for everything that you have made possible for me to find peace with God, with myself, with the world around me. God, thank you for salvation. And I say yes to this gift, to following you, Jesus, starting today and every day. Jesus, thank you for a brand new beginning today. Amen. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor as a church to play just a small part in what God is doing in your life.
We look forward to seeing you soon here at City Life.